Well, the Bible records that Jesus did nearly 40 different miracles during his uh, ministry on earth. With And I, I noticed as I was going through this, actually, I, I didn't personally notice, but I, I read this, that uh, of those 40 different miracles that Jesus did, there's only one miracle, with the exception of his resurrection, that is recorded in each of the four Gospels. And I thought that was, that was pretty surprising. You know, of all those miracles that Jesus did, there was only one that was so important, so significant, that each of the Gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all decided they needed to include this in their Gospel. And, and so, as we journey through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ uh, in our current message series, uh, it seems only fitting that we would include this miracle as one of the milestones that we stop and take a look at along the way. Now, before we get into today's passage and I tell you exactly what it is that we're talking about, I do want to point out kind of where we are on the timeline. We've been kind of building this timeline of Jesus's life as we've been going along. So where are we now? Well, last week we saw that Jesus was just beginning his public ministry, uh, and he was starting to call his disciples to come follow him. Uh, and specifically, we looked at how he called Peter and also Levi. Um, but now, by the time we get to today's story, we see that Jesus has called all 12 of his disciples, and he's commissioned them as his apostles. Uh, and so these apostles are now following Jesus around. They're, they're learning from him, watching him as he preaches to the crowds, as he does miracles, as he casts out demons and all those things. And it's after this initial time of learning that the disciples have spent with Jesus, uh, Jesus sends them out on what we might consider to be a, a short-term missions trip. Uh, it seems that Jesus would agree with the old 4-H motto, to learn to do by doing. And so the disciples were sent out, two by two, into the surrounding towns and villages and they were to preach the word of God, uh, calling people to repent and to, to turn back to God. And as they did that, Jesus also gave them the authority to cast out demons and to heal the sick, uh, just as he had been doing. And so, as we get into our passage today, we're going to see that the disciples had just returned from this ministry tour that they had been doing. Uh, they're ready to kind of debrief with Jesus and, and kind of talk through all the things that they just experienced. Now, of course, while they've been gone, Jesus has continued his own ministry of, of preaching and, and teaching and, and casting out demons and doing miracles. And so he's had uh, constant crowds around him that have grown to be quite uh, substantial in size, uh, as we're going to see again today. And this is about where our story begins now. So just before we get into it, we'll pause here and we'll pray and ask God to teach us something new from his word this morning. So let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this miracle that we're going to read about in uh, each of the four Gospels. Uh, I pray that you would speak to us through uh, the words that you've recorded here today. Uh, may your Holy Spirit be uh, whispering and nudging those things as we go along through these different passages, uh, and that those particular things that you, we need to hear this morning, that we need to make adjustments in our lives, things that we need to acknowledge, the things that we need to uh, change, whatever it is, God, uh, I pray that you would speak those things loud and clear to us, and that we might obey them. So we pray these things in your name. Amen. So now, as I mentioned, uh, this miracle is recorded in all four of the Gospels, and, and I may jump back and forth a little bit just to, to grab different details from different places, uh, but primarily we're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark today as our main text. So if you want to follow along, uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 6, and we're going to start at verse 30 today. And it says this, the apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. 
So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. And I'll just pause it here for a minute just to point out one little principle. This is one of the many places where Jesus made it a priority to rest and to be alone. Uh, he did this on, on a very regular basis, and I think this is significant. Uh, this was a very busy season for Jesus and his disciples. It seems that somebody always needed something from them. It says that they were, they were constantly people coming and going, so much so that they didn't even have time to eat. All right, that's, that's pretty busy. And I think most of us can probably relate to that. Uh, we live in a culture today where busyness is kind of an unspoken virtue, right? It's, it's almost a little bit of a, a social status to always be busy, right? If we're always busy, well, we must be a, a pretty important person, right? Being stressed and, and being overwhelmed is, is pretty normal. It's almost expected. If, if you're a successful person, well, you must be stressed out entirely. And, and so I think a lot of us have to struggle to, to find time and make it a priority in our lives just to stop, Right? Just to rest and to be alone for a while. But I think we need that. God never designed us to be constantly on the go. I think that's part of the reason why God gave us the, the gift of the Sabbath. Right, It's a whole day every week just to stop and to spend some time to rest. And I think even outside of the Sabbath, we see that Jesus made it a priority to take time away from busyness, right? To, to rest and, and to be alone. And perhaps most importantly, to spend time with his heavenly father. Actually, in Luke 5.15, we read how vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. You know, even at the height of Jesus' incredibly successful ministry, he often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. You know, he didn't get stuck in the busyness. Uh, but instead, he, he knew that it was a priority for him to withdraw to a, a quiet place, to rest, to be refreshed, and, and to spend some time with his heavenly Father. And, and so I would just encourage you to consider this morning, when was the last time you withdrew to the wilderness, or, or withdrew to a, a local park, or even withdrew to a quiet room in your house, just to spend some time in quiet, in, in communication with your heavenly Father? You know, when was the last time you, you said to your spouse and to the rest of your family, hey, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest? You know, if that was a constant priority for Jesus, you know, don't you think that might be important for us as well? And I think this topic could very easily become a, a sermon series in itself, but I'll, I'll leave it here for today. But I do think it's something that's worth considering. I'd encourage you to think about that. Make it a priority to, to rest, to, to be refreshed, and to spend some time with your Heavenly Father. But to get back to our story, uh, Jesus and his disciples then, they, they load up in a boat and they head off for a quiet place to rest by themselves for a while. But verse 33 continues, but many people recognized them and saw them leaving and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And I think this is just a great scene, right? Jesus is tired, right? He's worn out. He's, he's peopled out, to use our phrase today. He just wants to get away from the crowds and to spend some time to rest and just to be alone with his disciples. But lo and behold, there's this huge crowd of people that are just waiting for them on the other side of the lake. And they're just, you know, just standing there waiting as he steps out of the boat. And if I, if I were in Jesus's place, I think, you know, I, I would probably be 
pretty exasperated with the crowds at this point. I probably wouldn't say this out loud, but in my heart, I would probably be yelling at them. Hey, I came here to get away from you guys. Would you just leave me alone for a minute? But of course, that's not what Jesus says at all. From what we read, he's not exasperated. He's not frustrated. He's not even angry. Instead, all we see from Jesus is compassion. He sees them as a sheep without a shepherd, lost, hungry sheep who just need someone to care for them. And so Jesus does exactly that. And he begins to teach them, feeding them and guiding them by the word of God. And I find that to be such a, an encouragement to me. You know, so many times I imagine that God is exasperated with me, that, that he's just frustrated with my failures or he's angry that I just don't get it. Uh, and I know I certainly feel that way about myself sometimes. But that is not the picture of God that we see for us painted in the Bible. You know, certainly God expresses his, his anger and his, uh, his wrath at rebellion and sin. But God describes himself primarily as a God of compassion and mercy. Uh, if you look in uh, Exodus 34, 6, where, where God describes himself to Moses, he says uh, that his name is Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy. He goes on to say, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. And again, I want to be careful that I, I don't diminish the, the holiness and the justice of God that invokes his wrath against sin. But I also don't want us to forget that God is a God of compassion and mercy. You know, all of those things are core to his being. That's, that's who he is. And so, so I just wanted to point out that, you know, it's, it's really the combination of God's wrath against sin and his compassion for us that led him to send his son to die on a cross in the first place, right? It, it was, it was uh, so that God could execute judgment of his uh, wrath on our sin, while at the same time offering us forgiveness and life. So uh, just please don't think that God hates you or even that he merely puts up with you, um, because that's just not true. You are not a hassle to God. He is not exasperated with you. But rather, he loves you more than you can even imagine. So much so that he was willing to die for you. Right? That's a God of compassion and mercy. And that's the same compassion I think we see here with Jesus as he steps from the boat and he sees the crowds of people that he was just trying to get away from, but he sees them as sheep without a shepherd. And so he begins to teach the many things. Well, the story continues in verse 35. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, You feed them. With what? they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. So as we see in these verses, Jesus continues to show compassion to these crowds of people. As, as the day gets late and people are starting to get hungry, the disciples are ready to send everybody away. Go, go find some food, everyone. Go to the villages and towns. Get some lunch for yourselves. But Jesus says, hey, no, no, that's not necessary. 
you guys feed them. Now, of course, this would be no small task at all. Uh, as we're going to see here in just a little while, there's roughly 5,000 men that had gathered, and that doesn't include the, the women and the children that would have been with them. And so, I mean, there could have been 10, 15, maybe 20,000 people. That's, that's a pretty massive crowd of people. And uh, Jesus says, hey, you guys feed them. And so you can understand the disciples' objections. I mean, just to buy everyone there, you know, just a single cheeseburger without fries or drink or anything, I mean, you're looking at at least 15,000 bucks. You, you make it a happy meal and that's over 50 grand easy, right? So, of course, there were, there were no McDonald's back then, but the disciples were making those same calculations, right? They would have to work for months just to earn enough money to buy a simple meal for all of these people. And, and so... Jesus has them take just a little inventory. How much food exactly do we have? Well, the report comes back. We've got five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, the, the Gospel of John clarifies for us that it was actually uh, a little boy in the crowd that had these uh, five loaves and, and two fish, apparently for his own lunch. And so we can be pretty sure that these were not the, you know, the Costco-sized loaves of bread, but rather these are probably a lot more closer to, you know, a single dinner roll type thing. Uh, actually, most scholars think that these loaves would have been uh, probably about seven-inch kind of flat bread type things, kind of like a, a pita bread type thing. And so he had seven of these, so probably you know, a pretty good lunch for a, a little boy, but certainly nothing for a, a crowd of, you know, maybe 10,000 people. So what's Jesus going to do with that? Well, verse 39 tells us, Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and blessed them. Then, breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. Now again, I remind you that Jesus had five loaves of bread and two fish that he's breaking into pieces, giving it to the disciples to hand out to all the people. Now, I don't know exactly how small those pieces were that Jesus was breaking off to give them to the crowds of 10,000 or so people. But it seems that it just, just keeps giving out this bread, keeps giving out the fish. Something amazing happens. And we're not even told how it happens. It just says that it did. Verse 42 says, They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. What a, an incredible miracle. Now, God somehow multiplied that bread and that fish so that everyone had more than enough to feed themselves and their families. I mean, this, this is a pretty astonishing miracle. Uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at Jesus' first miracle, which was uh, turning the, the water into wine. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to change water into wine. You, you already started with the water. You just have to kind of change the substance of it a little bit. But here, it seems that Jesus is creating something out of nothing, right? It's like he's, he's pulling food out of thin air. I mean, who but God can create something out of nothing? Well, that's exactly the question. Who but God could create something out of nothing? No one. Only God himself. And, and I think that is exactly the point. Through this miracle, Jesus was showing that he was indeed the creator. He is the one who has always provided for all of our needs. You know, whether it was all the, the different fruit back in the Garden of Eden, or whether it was the, the manna in the wilderness for those 40 years as Israel wandered around, or, or whether it was this fish and bread that he pulled out of thin air to feed this crowd of people. Jesus has always been the one to provide for our needs. He is our creator and our sustainer. 
And what's more, Jesus was not interested in only providing for our physical needs, but he also wants to provide for all of our needs, especially our deepest needs, our need for salvation and for true eternal life. If we were to skip over to the, the Gospel of John, we'll see that the very next day, right after this happened, Jesus used this example of his miracle kind of as an illustration to show the people why he had come to earth in the first place. Um, as the crowds again gathered to Jesus after being fed this miraculous meal, of course, they, they want more of that. But Jesus explains it. He didn't come just to take care of their daily needs. He came to provide for their eternal needs. So look what Jesus says in John chapter 6 verse 48. He says, yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh. Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat, they asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person at the last day. Now, at first glance, this really does seem pretty weird and bizarre, right? This guy who just fed thousands of people with, with bread and fish out of thin air, he's now telling them that if they want to have eternal life and be raised uh, from the dead at the last day, then they need to eat the bread of life, which is Jesus himself, right? It's his own flesh and blood. And that's really weird. Why would Jesus say that? Well, of course, Jesus is not speaking literally here, but he's referring to his ultimate sacrifice where he would die on a cross for our sin. His body or his flesh would be beaten and bruised. Uh, it would be whipped and hung on a cross and left to die. His body or his blood, I should say, his blood would pour out from the nail wounds in his hands, uh, from the spear wound in his side, from the, the scourging on his back, from the crown of thorns on his head. His blood would be poured out for us. And so Jesus isn't saying that we need to you know, physically consume his flesh and blood to have eternal life, but rather we need to fully believe and accept for ourselves his sacrifice for us. You know, just as, as fish and bread sustains our physical life, it's Jesus' sacrificed flesh and blood that gives us spiritual life. And this is exactly what we remember when we celebrate communion. You know, if we were to jump way down on our timeline uh, to the night before Jesus was crucified, uh, we see him again sharing a meal with his disciples. And it's during this meal that we read uh, in Matthew 26, 26. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, Take this and eat it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. And he gave it to them and said, each of you drink from it, for this is my blood, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice to forgive the sins of many. And again, Jesus wasn't literally feeding them his flesh and blood. But what Jesus is saying here is exactly what he explained way back in John chapter 6 and what he had vividly illustrated as he fed the 5,000. He is the bread of life. He's the, the, the ultimate and, and really our only source of eternal life. And we only have that life by accepting Christ as the sacrifice for us. 
And so just as we need to accept, you know, food into our physical bodies to have physical life, you know, we also need to accept Christ's sacrifice for our, our souls to have eternal life. You know, as each of the disciples ate that bread and they drank that wine, they were symbolically acknowledging that they believed and accepted Christ's sacrifice for them. And, and so that's what we want to do here this morning. Uh, this morning, we want to share communion by eating that little bit of bread and that little tiny bit of juice in, in the cup. And, and while this small portion of food uh, certainly isn't intended to, to feed and sustain our physical bodies, nonetheless, it serves as a, as a vivid, symbolic reminder of Christ's broken body and his spilled blood. It, it reminds us that it is the only thing that gives us true life. And so this meal, this, this bread in this cup, reminds us of the, the entirely sufficient and the absolutely abundant gift that Jesus freely gives to all of us that we could have forgiveness and life. This week as I was preparing all this, I was just struck by how minute the, the nourishment value is in this little bit of bread and this little bit of juice as far as our, our physical bodies goes. It's, it's the tiniest of meals, but yet it symbolizes an overwhelming, abundant, ever-flowing spring of life within us that gives us eternal life. Um, and so I was just encouraged by that, and I hope that that thought sticks with you uh, this week as you go into your week, that having tasted the bread of life, you, you'll never be hungry in that way ever again. Well, we'll eat food physically for time and time and time again, but we have the bread of life within us that will give us eternal life. So with that, let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed into our week. Dear God, we thank you so much for your incredible kindness to us. As Michael mentioned, there's certainly nothing that we've done to deserve your great compassion and mercy. But yet, that's who you are. You're the God of compassion and mercy. And you unleashed your wrath, your judgment against our sin on your son, Jesus. He took all of that so that we could have life. God, thank you for Jesus, the bread of life. Uh, as we go into our week, I pray that you would remind us again and again uh, just of how you, you sustain us in, in everything, both in our physical uh, needs, but so much more in our, our spiritual ones. You give us a relationship with yourself through Jesus. Uh, you give us the hope of life with you forever. God, we thank you so much for your incredible kindness to each one of us, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.